185milesouth.com. Smash that Patreon button. One hundred and eighty five miles south, a hardcore punk rock podcast. In this corner, the challenger fighting out of the hard corner. From Seattle, Washington, it's the Axeman of the band Change. It is the mighty, mighty, posi, positive Christopher Chris. And his opponent, fighting out of the core corner. From parts unknown, weight unknown. Reason he didn't pick minor threat in the straight edge Super 7, unknown. It is the reigning, defending, undisputed 185 miles south trivia champion of the world, Daniel. These questions are too easy. Sant! All right, and we send the first question to Posse Chris. Posse Chris, on the undertow at both ends LP. Which band member is closest to the cameraman who took the cover shot? You can just tell us the instrument or if it's the singer. Uh, bass player, Damien? Hell yeah, point to Posse Chris. And should have gotten two points for getting the name as well. Good God. I thought I thought this was going to be a trick question where the picture was of <laughs> Damien, but like the guitar headstock was in the, in the foreground or something. Hey, <laughs> I'm not trying to do you like that. I'm trying to serve you guys up seven out of seven. Well, six. <laughs> six out of seven, right? Okay, Dan, we go to you. Right in your wheelhouse. Uh-oh. Now, on the Uh-oh. Cinnamon Beer Goggles VHS comp, the band No Effects tells you to leave what alone? Leave what alone? What? That's, can you... <laughs> this is just like blowing my mind. Oh, okay. Yeah, the the question is a lot more confusing than the simplistic answer of it. <laughs> the point of the champ. Holy shit! You have me like. I was thinking like, what do they say in Bob? But that's the that's Beate. I'm like. <laughs> What is Bob leaving alone? I know he's putting alcohol aside. (laughs) He worked it out, people. (laughs) That's why he's the champ. (laughs) All right. Chris, if a train left Los Angeles at 3 p.m. and another train left New York City at 3 p.m. and the conductor of the Los Angeles train put on the first seven inch by youth of today, what record would he be listening to? (laughs) (laughs) Can't close my eyes. A point to Posse Chris. Love it. Love I it. Like love it. All right. We go to Daniel for question number two. Straight back in the wheelhouse. Now, Daniel, this one's multiple choice. On the Cinema Beer Goggles VHS comp, the band Funeral Oration speaks of going to this place. Is it A, the pub, B, McDonald's, 
C, the track, or D, outside? You know, you know, my Dutch brothers love to go outside down by the canal riding their bikes. It's outside. A point to the champ. Woo, we got a match, people. Okay, let's go to Chris for his question number three. Now, Chris, this is uh, this is a member of Fugazi and also something Earth Crisis won't eat. Uh, I don't know. We go to Daniel for the possible steal. Dan, a member of Fugazi and also something Earth Crisis won't eat. Okay, so he could have also said, this is what you wear when you do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's a gay, gay, as in like clarified butter in Indian cooking. (laughs) Point to the champ. Epic steal. I was like, they probably wouldn't eat Ian because they're vegan. (laughs) Would they eat? Would they eat a a Makai? Um, okay, we go to Dan for his question number three. Dan, straight back into the wheelhouse. <laughs> on, the, on the Cinema Beer Goggles VHS comp, the band No Fun at All's song is about what type of party? It's the beach, brah. <laughs> A point to the champ. Dude, he knows. He knows. He's been studying those, that Cinema Beer Taste series. <laughs> I know. Hey, we're doing Absolutely. them on Patreon. And also, you got to listen along to the Patreon and and enjoy <laughs> listening and looking at the stage seal. <laughs> that one's coming up. That one's coming up. So I we, just imagine, we, I just imagine Dan putting on the Rocky montage, going into training, putting on the <laughs> montage music, and then watching these videos. <laughs> I feel like a Kentucky Fried Idiot. <laughs> All right, we go to Chris for question number four. Chris. On the cover of Killing Time Brightside, okay, excuse me. The cover of Killing Time Brightside shows a man peering through a crack in the door. Is he wearing glasses? <laughs> oh man! <laughs> I know there's a CK on the door. <laughs> I know that's where you're going. I feel like we had that question before. We um, do. I. I'm picturing in my mind both a man with glasses and without. So I'm going to say uh, with because fitty fitty. We go to Dan for the potential steal. Dan, the killing time. <laughs> the cover of killing time. Brightside shows a man peering through a crack in the door. Is he wearing glasses? No, he is not. No four eyed twerps are hanging out on the killing time cover. <laughs> <laughs> a steal for the champ. Hey, man, you yeah, yeah. respect people that wear glasses because they paid money to see you. Oh, that's true. That hit okay, me Dan. right in the feels. Dan, we go to you uh, for your question number four. Now, on the Cinema Beer Goggles VHS comp, the singer of the band Tilt Wheel discovers what type of beverage in a dumpster? That would be a 40 ounce of malt liquor. <laughs> Point to the champ. He's on a roll. (laughs) He is on a roll, people. Okay, Chris. True or false? On the Beyond No Longer at Ease LP, you can tell that I was struggling for questions and I was writing them, looking at my records. (laughs) True or false? On the Beyond No Longer at Ease LP cover, the Y in Beyond 
is taller than the other letters? Uh, I'm going to say true. Point to Posse Chris. Don't call it a comeback, people. Here we go to Dan for question number five. Dan, on the Cinema Beer Goggles VHS comp, what extreme <laughs> sport is depicted in the No Use for a Name music video? That would be snowboarding. Point to the champ. <laughs> the expert. <laughs> on the Cinema Beer Goggles VHS now I'm, now I'm picturing in Zach just like watching it over and over, looking for things to jot down for questions in the trivia. Oh, this man. is the eighth time I've watched this today. Oh, what can I... Hey, and it was a good how day. Can I, how can I stump Dan? <laughs> I haven't gotten to yet, you know. Okay, here we go to Chris for his question number six. Chris, multiple choice. On the Germs LP, which corner is the blue circle closest to? Is it the top left? A, the top left. B, top right. C, bottom left. Or D, bottom right. So you can re- repeat the corners again? Yeah. A, top left, B, top right, C, bottom left, D, bottom right. Top right? We go to Dan for the potential steal. Dan, multiple choice. On the Germs LP, which corner is the blue circle closest to? Is it A, top left, B, top right, C, bottom left, or D, bottom right? That would be D, bottom right. Point to the champ. Another steal. Clearly, I have a photographic memory. <laughs> that, that one's hard, dude. I wrote that and I was like, this is either going to be a no-brainer or like impossible. Because, yeah, that's wild. Anyway, sorry for doing you like that, Chris. But we go to Dan for his question number six. Dan, true or false? The Goops song on the Cinema Beer Goggles VHS comp sucks. That would be true. A point to the champ. All right. And let's bring it in to the final round. Oops, wrong button. (laughs) Well, thank you for that, Judd Judd. But let's bring it into the final round. And we go to Bedge for the subtotals. Uh, we have Chris with three and the champion Dan Sant with nine points. So you can wager right. as many or as few points as you currently have. So whooping. You know. Yep. Dan, how many of those nine do you want to wager on this uh, daily double round? I'm going to wager three to make it interesting. All right. And Chris, how about yourself? All right, I guess I'm also going to wager three to make it interesting. Fuck. And what if we have another tiebreaker? This is going to be rough. (laughs) Uh, Shout out to Andy Diehard for the first challenger to take Dan to a tiebreaker. Okay, let's see here. Chris, we're going to go to you first. I got to hit the purple button. And here we go. Were the horns in that? <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, God. It's the stink and pickle cover. Uh, I don't think I got that. I got the answer right here. Here we go. Ooh. 
kind of clear. Is it pick it up, pick it up, pick it up? All right, a few more times. Three times in a row yeah, for you, Chris. Give me, give me some. Yep. I think I've got it, but it's not my turn. Yeah, I have, and no, I have two no of the words. Okay. Payback you will feel. Oh, the sentiment is close, but the words are wrong. <laughs> Let's can, I, can I guess? Yes, I'm not get, not for the points, but just for the guess. Please. Yep. Does he say revenge you will pay? Yep, oh, he does. Yes. Dan would have gotten it if it Damn. was served up to him. <laughs> revenge you will pay off the song Fight Dirty. One of the rare, good, late 25 to life songs. Oh my God, I could hear it. <laughs> Well, it's, you've it's you've a, trained your brain, yeah. you know. It's you stopped learning really how to spell, like and you've you've honed in your twenty five to life. <laughs> okay, here we go, Dan, for yours, and this is the pink button. What? Would you like to hear it again, or are you ready to guess? Can I hear it five times, please? Five times. All right, here we go. Final okay. answer. Um, he says, welcome to you. <laughs> oh, all right. Never mind. I thought it was like, welcome to your pain of life or something. No, he says, perpetrator. Ah, so I was going to say use the name. Everybody, come up front. Sing along. Oh, yeah. He does I say perpetrator. perpetrator. Yeah. All right. Let's go to Ben for the uh, totals. Chris started the round with three points. He wagered three points. He didn't get it right, so he's left with nothing. And the champion, Dan Sant, while getting Chris's question correct, which earned him nothing, had nine points, wagered three, <laughs> failed, and ended up with six. Dan Sant six remains the champ. foot two. <laughs> All right. Well, congratulations, six guys. Six foot two, what you're going to do. <laughs> That's right. It's okay. like a grinder thing. Way to go, dude. What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, we are talking hardcore. Helping out, you know him, you love him. He is the best dressed man on the pod. He is Daniel Sant. What's up, Dan? Revenge, you will pay. <laughs> also helping out, it is Ben Merlis, a.k.a. Ben Edge, a.k.a. Bedge. What's up, Ben? Perpetrator, so quick to use the name. And rounded it out, it is the mighty, mighty posse Chris. What's up, Chris? Six foot two, what you gonna do? Dude, I know all of these. This rules. Um, <laughs> all right, jumping in this week, I just wanted to have a brief discussion because we recently we talked the second In My Eyes LP, and we kind of were all in agreement that it was maybe the best LP of that style of the era. And we're talking that youth crew revival that happened, you know, maybe starting around 95-ish and stretching to about the year 2000. Um, that being like maybe the best LP. And I just wanted to open it up and talk about 
other things that we think have held up from that era, because that's an era that we all hold pretty close to our heart. But we got to be real that a lot of that stuff from that era has not held up well. Um, definitely in a historical context. And honestly, like when I listen to a lot of it now, I'm like, oof, not as good as I remember, you know, Dan, what of this era holds up to you? Well, it, it's interesting because coming in on the on the um, tail end of like ninety seven, uh, around that time, maybe even a little bit before, but Bane was getting kind of lumped in with this because they were more of a straightforward hardcore band, whereas you know everything else was pretty metal at the time. Um, so I'm definitely going to say the first two Bane seven inches definitely hold up. That's not um, even close though to like what we're talking about. True, but I I'm I'm saying like what is re- at the time was regarded as being akin, even though now with distance. Come on it, though. Okay, well, the four point seven inch four point seven inch holds up, right? Are we in agreement on that? Putting words without a doubt. Okay. Floor punch. Um, I would say hardcore pride ten yard fight. Yep. As well as the ten yard fight. Um, is it called the way? Not the way it is, but the the only way. The final seven inch. Yes, the only way. That also is good. Um, I think the ensign LP on indecision holds up. Okay. Uh, Fair. That's, that's right in the line a little more. I would say that's like closer than Bane, but like that's kind of fallen closer to sick of it all than youth crew. Yeah. But what we have to remember at this time is that anything that was, you know, like people always reference mouthpiece as being youth crew. It's not youth crew at all, but the fact that it, those were their influences on their sleeve and they were playing something different from lots of, what was normal at the time, I suppose. Um, I agree. Like, just- you're, you're, you're saying any band that has fast parts, but like, we're not going to talk about like powerhouse and hoods and fat nuts. And, like those bands that like fall closer to like the New York hardcore stuff. Right. Yeah, it's like it's- it's the youth crew stuff. Like it's a direct line back to that. Yeah. Okay. Rain on the parade body bag, seven inch. I think the second one's good too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the first um, rancor seven inch. I liked that a lot. I liked um I like both Atari seven inches still. I actually when we did the first um discussion of all of this, I broke those out and like they get panned in the conversation of like stuff that doesn't hold up, but it it is the um you know, the octaves are going a little wild on it, but it's it's a uh, I, I like both seven inches still quite a bit. Um, things that haven't to me, like the fast break LP at the time, I think I really liked it. I, I don't like it at all anymore. Two LPs, the first one you don't like. The fast women. One. Right, right, right. Yeah. Do you like any um, of the seven inches? I like the fast break 10 yard fight split. Okay. And then they had the Don't Stop Trying 7-inch. I thought that was like one of the worst like 7-inches of that era. And then they had the Where It Lies 7-inch that I heard was good, but like it was limited to 200 and I could never get it. So I like never heard yeah. it. So Yeah, I don't have I don't have it either. Uh, Other stuff that held up. 
I think unless you can remind me of obviously the in my eyes demo in my eyes first lp and in my eyes second lp which is the primo of the three right um, so in my eyes catalog okay uh chris is there anything that dan didn't mention or anything that you agree or disagree with um yeah there's a few that he didn't mention that i have uh and i, I think i agree with most of it um I think for me, again, this is not a, a youth crew band, but like this era against all hope seven inches is, is one of my favorites from back then. And, you know, in that time, it wasn't my favorite for sure, but like revisiting it, it, it stands up a lot better than a, a lot of the other stuff. Um, the drumming is a bit like frantic for fans of the style. It's like dag nasty. If the drummer was on speed. <laughs> um, so I don't know if it's for everyone, but I think it's super sick. Um, 97A again, not youth crew, but the better off dead seven inches. Incredible. Again, I, I didn't even really like it at all back then. Cause it, it was just a little too dirty and grimy for me, but now I love it. It's just like, you know, the tortured vocals raging fast gang vocals over the top of it. Um, you know, it's not a youth crew band, but they do some youth crew things that make it stand out from a, a lot of, uh, you know, this style of stuff. Their best song though was on "Growing Stronger," right? Is that are we in agreement of that? Uh, yeah. it's it's up there. I mean, "Asphyxiate" is probably my favorite, but yeah. Um, another one, "The Purpose Seven Inch." What's in worth? Um, the recording on it's not great. Uh, but but the vocals are really cool, and there's some there's some cool, uh, like hooks and sing-alongs. Uh, there's a song tonight is like the hit song off of the off of it the lyrics are pretty cheesy and juvenile but it's like so catchy that it it works well i would um, say that like borders on youth crew like because it was yeah. kind of melodic and not like straightforward generic well they were like kind of different this seven inch was though like they later kind of got a little bit more like i don't know like hot water music laying a little bit but like this seven inch was pretty fast hardcore you know I'll have to I revisit. I remember that song. Mm-hmm. What do you? What do you? Jump, what do you, Dan? I said I, I've remembered one that I didn't list. That is okay. uh, still well, circle back. Lot. Yeah, cool. Okay. <laughs> Very um, I mean, this is an obvious one, but the growing stronger comp, like in my opinion, the best Ensign song, the best Push Too Far song, the best Atari song, Rain on the Parade track, and the '97 tracks are both like upper echelon for them. The floor punch song is okay, but it, you know, of the five or six songs, it feels like the most like a comp track compared to the other others. Uh, two others I want to hit real quick: the "By the Grace of God" perspective LP. Um, overall, is a solid LP, but like the opening track is so freaking good. It's like the intro for the song is one of my favorite hardcore intros like ever written, and uh, and then the actual song is is just really good. Um, and then one that surprised me, like it didn't, I didn't like it very much at all. It didn't stand out to me when I, when I got it back in the day, but the black turns green seven inch on, on positive face. Um, I, when I, you know, a couple years ago and I went back and kind of listened to a bunch of seven inches I hadn't listened to in like 20 or 30 years. That one was one that kind of surprised me how good it was revisiting it. I've never even heard of that one. 
I that's cool. I got I got to track that down. Maybe we do a collector's bargain corner on it if uh, if it's available. Oh, yeah, sure. yeah, there's a few that I think we haven't touched on um of American that over the line demo was really good. They got repressed on 7-inch. And then we got to go Euro with a crucial response. The eyeball talking straight 7-inch. So both, good. both of the sportswear 7-inches and I know Ben rides for the LP, we'll get to him in a minute. But those two seven inches are like two of my favorite pieces of hardcore. And then the second main strike LP, the no passing phase is so good. And we should also toss in the, for the sake of dedication comp, which is like both Euro and American hardcore. I think 10 year fights on it, but uh, it's got all the crucial response bands. Let's also call out the main strike record was added to Spotify recently. Oh, no passing phases on Spotify. Yeah. Like I think it was added like last week. Okay, that's a breakthrough because like we need to start hammering on uh, Crucial Response. They're like holding back all their music. Like even the band camp, it only has like one song up from every record. It's fucking pathetic, dude. Put the music out for the people because like this shit gets forgotten to time. And it's like your fault for not like putting it out there. You know, like we want to listen to it. We want to keep it in the vernacular and like. Crucial Response put out some spectacular records and like we want to talk them, but like I want to talk stuff that like we can refer people to and they can go and listen to it. You know what I mean? Like it, it kind of sucks to like talk about how dope something is and then like it's hard for people to find. So that's that. Uh, ben, agree, disagree with anything we said and any uh, notables that we missed? Push too far on that baby blue vinyl. That's all I got. That seven inch sucks. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the color was the color was fucking beautiful, <laughs> and the color was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, the um, uh, but for real, I'm glad Dan touched on Atari because I have I do this thing now in my car where I intentionally listen to CDs that are not on Spotify because when else am I ever going to listen to that music? You know, the fact that it's not on Spotify, it's like I'm going out of my way to listen to this, and um. Atari is one of those bands and they put out a discography CD and many years ago. And it's so fucking good. And, and like, and I'm going to address the sort of complaint or whatever criticism that Atari gets a lot. There were all these like post-punk and indie pop bands that played sloppy as fuck, but they were still respected. Like the slits, for example, they just weren't very good at their instruments, but no one is saying shit about the slits. No one is being like, yo, Viv Albertine isn't a very good guitarist, dude. Fuck that band. Like, so why is a sloppy youth crew band like Atari held to a different standard? And I think they're like perfectly imperfect. Like, it's just great music that captures youthful energy. I mean, that's what it is. So it's like, um, and they're definitely more interesting than some more musically competent bands that we're going to talk about later in the same episode here. Um, but like, but ben, okay, let, me, so- let me jump in on Atari. They're not being slagged for being sloppy. They're being slagged because one of the guitarists has a straight up phobia of the E string, <laughs> you know, like he refuses to play anything except for an octave. I don't, I don't think we're looking at it as sloppy. Cause like, the YOLO of that record, like that's why I put it with like Rancor. Like they're not afraid to like go to like a scissor beat. It's like actually an endearing thing about the band. The thing that's not endearing is like the dude plays an octave like literally every second of every song. But that's you know, like, like we get it, dog. But that's cool that because that's almost like 
this is my this is my stance and I'm taking it. I'm I'm going all in on this one thing. And I think the whole scissor beat thing is the Atari drummer doesn't know how to play any other fast beat. He only plays scissor beats when they go fast. So yes, there are those two things that kind of might hold them back from being taken more seriously. This is really funny. More seriously, like a band, like a band, like 10 yard fight named after a Nintendo game. Um, but, uh, you know, they're Atari, not Nintendo. Uh, so I'm just going to go through my little list of stuff I think is held up other than Atari. Unless you want to, we, we can hammer Atari a little bit more. I think the first Atari 7-inch is the best thing. And, and it's true. Yeah, it's the only interesting thing. Like, I, that's why I hover on it. Like, is this really cool just because it seriously doesn't give a fuck? Or is it, like, annoying? And I can't decide. I like change my mind on that seven inch like every time I listen to it. You know, <laughs> it's great. And you got a take on that? You got What's an Atari that? take, Dan? Yeah, I I actually like both seven inches, but the first one, I ever since I got got it, like then I've I've always like rode for it, and there have been lots of detractors like over time. Not as much while it was out, you know. But later on in life, like you, just the way things don't hold up to some people, but I really, I really dig it, and it is a an awesome signpost for what that was at the time, you know. Yeah, Chris, give me your Atari take, and then we'll let Ben hit his list. I love the seven inch. Uh, I do agree with with Zach though that I think the hate that they get is largely because of the octave. It's so octave heavy um but you know as ben pointed out i think i don't know i don't think octaves were as big of a of a trope for this genre back then and so them doing it i think is kind of uh like doing it that i mean obviously like gorilla biscuits even you know was was a band that did octaves a lot but not to this degree like this was like them saying hey we really like that one part in that gorilla biscuit song and we're gonna make our whole record like that but I think it's tight. It's so real, dude. Okay, Ben, let's hit your list. Uh, like you said earlier, sportswear, sportswear LP, the seven inches I think are okay, but the LP is like the creme de la creme and it's very well recorded too. It's like, it's a perfect recording for that style of music. Um, fast break, fast cars, fast women LP. Uh, this is my favorite record by them, which is funny because it's the only one that's not on Spotify as of this recording, like even like some demo they made in 94 that I didn't know existed is on Spotify, but not like the main album that they're remembered for making. It's kind of strange. Um, and, and fast cars, fast women is like the closest thing musically to gorilla biscuits from this era. In my opinion, it's got that melodic thing going. Um, everything by mouthpiece. I don't know if they count cause they came earlier than all these other bands, but I think that stuff still all holds up. Uh, tie break seven inch which is on crucial response this was a band from norway and somehow is on spotify even though most crucial response stuff isn't and they are famous famous in my in my uh mind and zach nelson and todd jones's mind for having the line 
sooner or later the kids will fuck your ass and also the line i laugh you i laugh you in the fucking face i laugh you in the fucking face and dude is cupping the mic so hard you can barely make any of the words i like woof, woof. and there's like this weird echo on his voice it's so fucking ill yeah tie break is the shit and, and they came out with and like if you think like nor about norway they're like they're coming out with a lot around the same time as sports where it's like fuck yeah that's like a hotbed of youth crew action um rancor for the for the same reasons as atari everything but mainly the demo and the first seven inch like the demo is might actually be their best recording which is kind of odd usually the demo is like a really not very well recorded thing and then they clean things up on the records but it's just as good if not better than the Seven inches. Uh, yeah, yeah. The Rancor demo sounds good, but it's like a lot slower than the seven inch. And I think that the endearing thing on Rancor is that like that first seven inch, the flip the switch, it is so YOLO and cool and catchy, right? Tougher than a Tonka truck. You can't run because you're out of luck. And then like that sing along at the end, the X on my hand, me all won't take part. X on my hand, we'll stay inside my heart. That song is actually on the demo, and it's like the seven inch version bodies the demo version because it's like faster and then we should also say the second rancor seven inch might have technically better songs and it's still fast and good but for some reason like the songs just aren't as memorable like they're not as like catchy and hooky so that's a weird one when like maybe the seven inch the second seven inch is a technically better record but it doesn't it doesn't have the hits it doesn't have the tracks you know i don't know what do you think ben yeah, first seven inch also has the lyric hide behind your baggy pants while I assume my hardcore stance. Yes. Sick. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. What else is on the list? Hands tied EP and then Ten Yard Fight, pretty much all of it. I don't I don't know how I would even rank the Ten Yard Fight records. They're they're all pretty good. Yeah, the LP's a little long. You know, they they thrive in like that six song format, you know? But yeah, there's there's hits on the LP, so that's that. Chris, yeah, there there is for sure. Like people, I think people like to dismiss the LP just because they prefer you know the the first or the last EP. But there's some like straight up bangers on that record too. Yeah, and we should say like the the back on track song, like they wrote a hardcore song in like an era where every song has to have a breakdown. Like they wrote a full fast song. Like that song doesn't have a breakdown, I think, and it rules. Hell yeah. You got uh, another one? one other, yeah, one other before we kick it back over to Dan. Um, when we're talking about European bands, the Colt Turkey 7-inch, I love it. Uh, really, for me, it's only it's about one song and then the rest of it's solid. But like the song The Hammer Hits Hard, I think is is what it's called, is so sick. This is like, if you guys aren't, or if, if anyone's unfamiliar, it's like members of Man Lifting Banner and it's like a kind of a a joke side project militant straight edge militant communist band and like the chorus for this song is the hammer hits hard the sickle cuts deep and it's such a hard song <laughs> yeah okay dan what did we uh miss or what was your commentary uh we missed the time flies lp on our way which i think is really fantastic it's a uh, late 98 i think is when it came out yeah that's a good one 
but it's so tuneful. Uh, it's really very much of this time. And then if we're talking about this, Count Me Out is getting going around like 98, 99. And obviously everything they've done is pure gold. Yeah. Count Me Out and Carry On are kind of like the bands that bridge the gap, right? Yeah. Like they kind sure. of, they start on one side of it, end up on the other side of it. So maybe, yeah, maybe they don't fit the discussion because they actually like bridge out of the scene, you know, and yeah, are totally, the, they are not totally time stamped. Absolutely. But the second carry on seven inch is very much of what this music is and sure. holds up to this day. Completely. For me. The fight lasts for hours. Each ram battering the other dozens of times. Head to head. All right. Continuing on from the uh, that youth crew discussion, we're going to go head to head of two great LPs that came after that era, but harken back to that era and the original youth crew era. So what we're talking about is the first step LP, what we know, and we're putting it up against the mindset. Leave no doubt LP. This is wild. And like both of these bands are like kind of the singular generational band of their era that like rocked this style and both like did it really well, both on record and live. And I can't believe we haven't done this matchup yet. Cause this is like kind of a no brainer. Chris, what's your take here? Uh, yeah, these are two top tier kind of youth crew revival bands that are both through like the 97 lens. Um, so we, we talked about all the stuff about, you know, earlier, like the stuff that, that stands the test of the time of that era. Like this is all through that lens. I think, you know, like obviously there are fans of youth today and, and instead and all those bands, but there's, there's a 97 lens that I think it goes through. Um, and these are two of them that, you know, some of the, some of the best students of the students, you know, and, and in mindset's case, maybe students of the students of the students, but um, <laughs> both very important bands, for me personally, you know, when I go to a hardcore show, I want to be inspired. And these are two bands, very inspirational bands. They wear their heart on their hearts on their sleeves. They have important things to say. Like they say it, the intensity, the passion behind it. Um, so in a head to head, like these are both fantastic records. But for me, you know, while mindset maybe wouldn't even exist in a world without the first step, I don't know that for sure, but um, I'm going to take leave no doubt. Cause this is, I think this is one of the best straight edge hardcore records ever made, you know, in, in my top 10 maybe. And, you know, I've said before that I think it's the best straight edge hardcore record since 110. Um, I count me out. Um, I don't know. This is just, uh, it's, it's so raw and like ferocious, and, and, you know, when we talk about the youth crew, like the 97 era, I think where some of it gets kind of stale is where it loses the, some of that ferocity and rawness that like Youth Today and Side by Side and those bands had. And um, Mindset really captured that ferocity. Um, vocals are great. Lyrics are awesome. 
lots of great hooks. The drumming is fantastic. It's just a perfect record. Um, the track War, oh my goodness, is a song about, uh, I think it's about like othering people in um, as an excuse to, you know, fight wars, like thinking about like the people that you're fighting and killing as, as different from you. And um, the irony is the song's so hard that it just makes me want to go to war in the pit. Um, and just kill everyone around me. <laughs> uh, this song we talk about the ferocity. Like this is the one where he, like Ev maxes out the ferocious vocals on this. Um, yeah, I love this record. I think it's perfect. I think this is one of the best bands that I'll ever see in hardcore. So you're going the first step. I'm going mindset. Um. I spent a bunch of time on mindset and I didn't on much on first step, but first step is no slouch. This record is fantastic. Um, but leave no doubt also has the benefit of having a, a little bit, uh, bigger recording. Um, so it hits a little bit harder for me, but yeah, both these records are fantastic. I just, I'll let, uh, whoever's picking the first step. Cause I know someone's going to hear, um, I'll let them talk more about it, but it's a great record too. I want to like say how awesome both these album covers are. Like this is something that never gets old to me. A live shot on the front, a big ass logo, and that's a wrap. Like this is a record I'm buying every time if I'm going to the store and it's like, oh, like they don't have anything I was looking for, but I want to walk out with something. I'm going to get something that looks dope like this, you know, and both these records are like good. Like you wouldn't be disappointed. Dan, what's your take on uh, this matchup? Well, first of all, let me echo your sentiment. When I see people with hoods up doing dives and someone exed up screaming into a mic, sold. I agree. These both look incredible. Um, Now, what's great about both these bands, there are tons of bands that have done this style that will sing lyrics that, say something a little bit these bands are really diving in and they're crafting songs that are inspirational and that they are not just not just generic lyrics for this genre which this genre can get full of of like you know it can get very full of those kind of like sentiments that just regurgitate the same kind of lines over and over again. And I feel both these bands do a fantastic job of actually crafting songs about a certain topic. And I I really am here for it. Like, for example, the um the last song on the mindset LP, One Step Beyond, it's it is so good. Uh, it's so good lyrically, but it's also so incredible. Um, I I somewhat echo the sentiments of Chris in the the mindset record. Just sounds amazing, um, and the first step record sounds very very good too. And it was produced by Walter Schreifels, but somehow maybe just the mindset has more like low end, you know, it's just got a bit more like beef under the, under the, uh, under the surface that 
gives it a little nod there. But what I love about the first step is just the sincerity. Like, you know, lots of people will mock these kind of genres, like if they don't fuck with this and, you know, they, they, they laughingly call some of this stuff like sincere core. What the fuck is wrong with being sincere about what you care about and what you are trying to transmit to the world? And the first step, do that incredibly. The only knock is that it's due to being such lovers of what came before, you know, like YOT, etc that it's crafted their output in a in a almost a love letter to that even though they are singing about um much wider topics um but i'm gonna have to give the nod to mindset by a couple millimeters it's very close i I really love both records but the mindset just has a bit more grit to it that just makes me tap into it just a little bit more. I went into this like hoping that I would choose the first step record because I knew him. I liked him. I saw him live a a ton and we saw him like from the demo era throughout like, and they were always great. And it's like, then they added like Greg Bacon and Aram. And so I was like, okay, this is even better. Now they have like more people we know in the band, like this rules, but like, and I know Ben loves this LP and Ben has like pretty good musical taste. I think I ride with him usually. And I like this. Okay. Like on revisiting the mindset bodies this though. Like and it bodies it because of the drumming, the drumming on this first step record is like, it just holds it back a tiny bit. Like it's okay. Drumming. It's not spectacular. And it's just like, if you want to be a great hardcore band, you got to fucking rip. That mindset is just a little bit faster. It's a little more like on its toes. It's a little more like hitting you in the nose. Just every, it's, it's fucking good, dude. You know, like you peel back that layer of like the superficial, like straight edge, like facade. And it's just a ripping hardcore record. You know, it's like at the end of the day, you know, you could pick youth of today apart to death, but it's like, you can't take away those tracks, right? Like they just fucking rip, you know, they rip. And like this mindset LP is, is just spectacular. Like it rips hard, you know? And I was, yeah. So I was kind of bummed on that, I guess. Wanted root for the, the first step, but this mindset wins, Ben, let's get a vote for the first step. Handle business. Right. I've talked before about how I think mindset sounds exactly like the first step and my opinion has not changed. They sound so much alike. It's upsetting to me. I can't think of two bands that sound more alike ever in any genre, except maybe like a couple rappers from the eighties. Um, and the cover art is almost the same too. It's like adding insult to injury. Uh, but I'm not saying that mindset is stealing riffs. You're not going to hear a first step riff recycled on mindset. I'm talking about, the style of the playing that's identical. Like they, they are in the, they are in the first steps mindset when it comes to songwriting. It's kind of like the blurred line syndrome. You know how like Marvin Gaye's estate sued uh, what's his face for uh, Pharrell and 
fucking Robin Thicke for stealing like the vibe of their music and and actually Marvin Gaye's estate won. I'm not saying I agree with that outcome, but it's sort of like mindset has the first steps vibe. And um, Leave No Doubt, the mindset album could almost be a follow up to the first step LP with a slightly different sounding singer. I mean, you can tell it's a different guy singing, but like, so I'm, I like tried to shut that part of my brain off that, that knows that like one band came first and then the other band came after, like, let's just pretend that like, these are two things that coincidentally came out at the same time and were, didn't have any influence on each other. And so just like listen to the music on its own and try to figure out like, okay, who actually has the better music and like, the first step is the better record to me. It's like, it just has better, more memorable songs and like time to understand, or as it is all these first step songs, like mindset to me, doesn't have an equivalent of those quality wise, you know, it has the sound, but it doesn't have the kind of memorable hooks, choruses, riffs, whatever. And, and, you know, I guess it's a good thing that I, that so many of you, in fact, all of you are writing for mindset because I feel bad because I'm sure they're great guys, but it's just like this doesn't do anything for me. And the first step is def- de- definitely the best straight edge record from that entire decade, I would say, in my opinion. Right. But that's so confusing to me, right? Because if you think that the the first step LP is the best of like the, the 2000s, right? The aughts or whatever. And this comes out in 06. The mindset comes out in 2012 and you think it sounds so similar. Like, why don't you ride for it? It's been six years. And like, it's not like first step puts out another record. So like, don't you want more of it? Like if, if Madball puts out set it off in 95 and that's a rap, that's all they do. And another band puts out a, an album that sounds very similar in like the year 2001. Like I feel Ill like blood. I would ride for that band. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, what's that? Ill blood. Ill blood. <laughs> oh yeah, but this, this is not even close. Get out of here. Um, um, yeah, I thought about that too. Like, I have this. I have an album by a band called Shout Bus, and Shout Bus is Fake Minutemen, and it's like, but I never listened to that Shout Bus record. But why did I buy it in the first place? It's kind of like it just felt. It just feels so copycat that it's like, oh come on, you got to try harder than that. Like that's the feeling I get, and I know what you mean. Like. If you just if you like something enough, why not accept an imitator? Um, like for example, you know sportswear wants to be bold, but they don't actually sound like bold. Like it's like bold filtered through a decade distance and you know a, di- a continent apart, so it does actually end up sounding different. Like this isn't like it's not different enough to stand on its own, and it's not good enough to stand on its own. Like to me man i I totally disagree because like i think that the recording sounds better and the drumming is like is like legit twice as good you know so it's like it's like just one upped i don't know i don't know that's that's a wild take ben i think you're i think you're hating a little bit yeah i have no also horse in the race you know whatever what were you gonna say no no but if you but if you hold something like so close to your heart and think it's like the best record of a decade maybe like you are like defending it. Like, Oh, nothing came along that was better than this. You know, maybe you are, you are a little defendees on it. You know, I don't know. Dan, what do you think? 
Well, I, I don't think either of them I, – I don't think Mindset is trying to sound like the first step. I think they're both referencing classic records that they absolutely are in love with, Chain of Strength and Youth of Today. You know, they Yeah, I don't – I think that the first step is referencing instead Youth of Today, whatever, Chain of Strength, you name it, like all in a blender, and Mindset is referencing the first step. Like that's the vibe I get. I don't. But first step, like this LP comes out like after, you know, like the American Nightmares when like stuff speeds up and gets like just a little meaner, you know, and they decide to not like take any of that influence. They're like, no, we're just going to be playing ass first step because that's like what we are is what we kill it with, etc. And I think mindset, they do take in a little like post 90s youth crew influence in like they take in a little bit more of modern styles in and that's why like the the songwriting just sounds a little fresher and more creative yeah i definitely think they've they are writing songs in a post carry on world you know there's some carry on sneaking in there well so it's first step you're just like they're not adopting it this first step lp is no six yeah yeah but i i'm saying where you say the first step is trying to swerve the more meaner stuff where I, I think subconsciously some of that has sunken in by the time the mindset LP is being written. Like they, are, you know, love obviously YOT chain, etc. probably and the first step, but also the carry ons and the, and the, um, you know, other bands of that ilk that kind of straddled the line of of youth crew, but still being a bit faster and meaner. I think that's fair. Okay, three to one mindset. But both these LPs are really notable because this is not an easy genre to write an LP of, right? You're talking about fast hardcore with like very little melody, if there's melody at all, you know, like... There's a little bit of melody on the last like first step song, right? Like the new reality song. But like they're not leaning into melody at all. I mean, I guess they do have some nice chord progressions. Like the as it as it is or whatever has nice chords. But like they're not going melodic. Yeah, they do like- a f- they do a few weird things too. Like on time to understand that weird guitar part that's almost like atonal to the rest of the song. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, hell yeah. Everyone check out these records on the playlist. Go to 185milesouth.com. Click that playlist link in the upper right-hand corner and check out all the music we are talking about. And you know there's going to be some sick main strike shit on there if they're on uh, Spotify now. It's going to be ill. How do you do, fellow kids? What? How do you do, fellow kids? What? How do you do, fellow kids? All right, I wanted to talk a couple newer records, and the first one we're going to talk about is the new LP from Berthold City. The LP is titled When Words Are Not Enough. It came out on War Records this year. And Chris, what's your take on this? I love this record. I think it's sick. Um, it's a sound, I mean, we've talked about it plenty on this on this podcast, but it's a sound that is my favorite style of hardcore, and they just do it so well. Um, you know, it's a band that could have been around in the 97 era, although 
they draw a lot from like kind of the 95 ish, like the bridge nine, um, you know, they, I think they draw as much from like a carry on and a right brigade as they do from, you know, a youth of today or a judge or a side by side, or, you know, even in my eyes or any of those. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a awesome record. It sounds great. Sounds huge. Um, they, they do a lot of tricks of, of those style of bands where they never really kind of overuse any of them. None of the songs are, um, to me, none of the songs really sound same, same, like each kind of has a different flavor, lots of variety in like the openings and closings and, and the strong song structures, you know, one song will start with a bass or a ring out or, um, you know, the vocals and, and, uh, like that's the stuff that I think keeps, uh, an LP interesting. Um, the, and the vocals are snarly and pissed off and, and that kind of gives it another edge. I think that makes it, uh, you know, really top tier on, on this, this style of hardcore. I think the song turn it around specifically. I think the vocals are extra snarly. Like he, he gets in that, you know, that jewels Ray kind of range. Um, yeah, I love it. Also sick, sick band live too. Hell Yeah. Um, I love the color scheme on the cover and I think the bass yeah. tone is ill. Um, Dan, what's your take on this? Oh, sorry, sorry Chris. Real quick. On the cover, I was, ta- I was thinking about this the other day. Like the color scheme is not, I don't know. Like it's not colors that you would think of traditionally from a, a hardcore record, but they look really cool. It's kind of an interesting cover, like juxtaposed with the songs because, every single one of these songs seems so like well thought out. Like, and I think that's, uh, it's like what makes the band really good. And also is like detrimental to an LP in a, in a way is like, you're sacrificing like super, you're sacrificing any sort of YOLO for having like completely well thought out, like plotted intentional songs. So like that's a hard balance to find, but like this is so solid. I would say, like Chris, like you're saying, like you can fall anywhere from like that youth crew revival all the way through like the mid two thousands. But if I was at a hone in, like it's just so solid. I would say that it takes maybe something from like a band like Insin, where like the yeah. songs are so intentional and solid and good, but like I don't know. It, it's kind of like where do you fall? Like Instant is probably a better band than Tenured Fight, but like Tenured Fight's gonna go there and have like the straight edge brothers in the pit together. Like they're they're gonna get buck on a part, you know. So it's like you sacrifice like the well thought out song structure, lyrics, everything for like something that maybe is like roasting that marshmallow a little too long, almost gonna fall off the stick, you know. And it's either great or it's like cheesy, and I don't know. But like, yeah, overall, it's like, this is solid. Like they wrote 12 really, really good hardcore songs. This sounds great. All like the musical performances are great. Vocals included, drumming included. Like I said, I love the bass tone. And uh, yeah, just a a really solid effort. Um, Dan, what's your take? I really like the LP a lot. Um, When it first came out, I listened to it a couple of times and I I thought, yeah, pretty, pretty good. Um. And then I listened to it a lot more in the build-up to recording this pod, and I re- it clicked with me. It really clicked. It sounds amazing. It it 
is an amazing recording. Um, the drummer is fantastic. And I mean, the youth crew Tom parts that are basically the key to my soul. This makes them sound huge. Like every youth crew Tom part that happens on this LP. I am just loving. Um, it is hard edged, like angry, mean youth crew. And it comes off sounding bright, but also pissed. Um, I think my favorite songs are when might makes right. Um, it's almost got like a sick of it all homage in the push just too far parts with the like backups that make it almost sound just for that tiny line of those three um, words. It makes it sound like the sick of it all song is almost like sampled in within their own song. It's actually pretty, a pretty cool uh, thing. I love the song out of darkness and then um, the last song with this regret, the song structure on that is very different to a lot of the things. And, and I think Andrew writes the music as well as the lyrics and he obviously sings on it. Um, and other like Dennis and John and EO and stuff play the music. But I think Andrew probably writes the music because even though it's youth crew ish music the ensign shout is perfect because i was thinking that too that was very similar to the the pace of what ensign's lp on indecision in i think 95 was there's a very kind of a similar vibe to it because i'm bringing up that andrew writes the music because you can hear that this is the same person that writes songs for strife but this is going down a different channel, but it can't help bring a little bit of that along with it, which makes, like I say, this a much harder edge, like um, aggressive and almost mean sounding youth crew while the recording brings it back into the light of it being bright and positive. Um, It's really good. My only, my only complaint, if I was going to, have any complaint about it is that I would have loved the songs to channel into actual, I don't know, deeper topics perhaps. And maybe I'm not gleaning the lyrics don't come along with the Spotify and I haven't got the record yet. Um, but the, the lyrical fodder is, is very, um, I won't say it's not generic, but it is um, commonplace. And I would love to have heard a few songs that made me get, like prick my ears up and go, whoa, what is that about? You know, or is this is about something, you know, maybe political or something of, of today or something, you know, but that's, that's only with limited time with the LP. So maybe, you know, that's not fair, but that would be my, my one criticism with it. But I, I, upon first hearing this, when it first came out, I didn't think I would like it as m- much as I do th- right now. 
upon my first few listens and I really do like it a lot now. I think that's a good take because I will say I listened to this record probably four times in the build up to this and I liked it the fourth time more than I liked it the first time. So much like Dan Sant, it is a grower, not a shower. Ben, <laughs> let's go to you for your take. Yeah, I totally agree with Dan that I can hear a little bit of strife in this, but it's way more straightforward, kind of fast, late 80s sounding than strife ever was. Like stylistically, Berthold City is closer to what I wish strife was, like shorter songs that don't linger on the breakdowns as much. But but at the same time, I think strife has catchier, stronger songs than Berthold City. So if only they could combine those two in, things into a super group where Andrew sings and plays guitar at the same time. Um, I thought the highlight of the album to me is actually the opening track, Only Truth Wins, because it reminds me of early Judge, like give it up kind of vibes. Um, and I always thought Strife kind of reminded me of Judge too, but this is a little bit more just ferocious hardcore. Um but um, nothing else really stands out to me. But then again, I didn't listen to it four times like Zach did. So maybe I should listen to to it a couple more times and and uh, and I'll be able to pick out other stuff from it. And I, I did see well, this band good. once. Uh, I saw them a couple years ago. I don't know if they only had one seven inch out yet, but uh, they were pretty good. They played with drug control in Eagle Rock at a bowling alley. And they actually drug control and Berthold city sounded very similar to each other. Um, it's almost like I saw them with change at program and they killed it and change killed it too. What's up? But um, it, like the, like stylistically, it's almost like if you took youth crew music and then you removed every trope about youth crew that people complain about, like, you know, corny songs about friendship, which by the way, I'm, a sucker for all that stuff. When I say corny, like I'm not throwing shade at, you know, standard youth crew music. I love that shit. But like, you know, all the little things that people like roll their eyes about when they think a youth crew, you take away all that stuff. And this is like, what's left over. Like, this is the skeleton of it. You know, it's like the song structures are follow the format, but there's not the, there's, there's not the goofy overuse of octaves, which also I love. And, and, uh, it's just, I can't find much to bite into once you take away all that stuff. Uh, I mean, I'm all in favor of fast songs that have breakdowns and then fast parts again and whatever, but, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a well-recorded record debt bass tone, as Zach says. A bass tone, dude. So ill. Okay. Let's That's go on. Oh, That's go ahead. Like that's that Grover Beach uh, based home from Dennis. Well, that's right, dude. And uh, we read the Lamgo comments. Dennis did not storm the Capitol. So take <laughs> it back, whoever said that. Okay. All right. Let's go on to the LP by Gridiron. It's called No Good at Goodbyes. Came out on Triple B Records this year. And we had previously talked about their side of a split seven inch they did. And I absolutely loved it. It was like such a short burst of this style and they're playing like apex. Like, I guess if I had to put it in a category, it would be kind of like beat down ish, you know, like kind of hip hop singing on the verses and then big breakdowns, uh, 
fair amount of double kick, fair amount of tempo changes. Um, this LP again, it just sounds so big, so nice. And it's like very palatable. And I think that that's like the breakthrough that, you know, we as like a group think consensus on this pod have kind of had, and maybe over the last year is the biggest victory for like a hardcore LP in the modern era is like, do you make it through the whole thing without it like dragging or being painful at some point? And this record, I've listened to it a ton of times. Um, probably like, I don't know, 10, 15 times this has come out. Hasn't gotten old yet. And it kind of is is a rare record that like hit me out the gate and it hasn't faded. You know, like a lot of times, like the things that grab you instantly, they fade. And a lot of the times that things that don't grab you right away, they grow on you. Um, and this just holds up. Um, I will go into my knocks after you guys all go. Dan, what's your take on this? What makes this uh, really palatable is that the vocals are not buried in the in the middle of the music like a lot of um, some of the genre will happen where you're like, you know, the vocalist seems like he's fighting for or they are fighting for, you know, equal <laughs> audibility, whereas this is really present up top um and clear and um bouncing over the the music which almost makes occasionally some of the music choices that they do where they they go really wild and and almost like i don't know how to describe it it's like everything shifts and goes like just all crazy for a second on a couple of the songs. Um, but it, it's really good. It's it, so, so the main vocalist like does borderline, borderline like rap singing uh, for the, for the majority of the vocals. And then I believe it's the guitar player does the really deep um, hard, like vocals. So this is almost like hip hop, singing over kind of bouncy death metal really is is a way to describe what this lp sounds like but it really works it it super works i really like the song trench like you're on the bench while we're in the trench like yeah. that <laughs> line is so sick um i know chris's favorite song is going to be the 12th man obviously um but yeah and the thing is this LP does not hang around nine songs. It's over, you know, in like what, 22 minutes or something like that. And, um, it's got some really good features vocally, like the God's hate dude and the, uh, Jay from mind force is on it as well. And, uh, sounds, sounds sick. Like this is also one that first listen, <laughs> I I was like, okay, it's cool, you know, it's what I expect. Second listen, oh, I'm I'm kind of getting a bit more in the groove with it. And then third listen, I was playing it loud as shit at work today. And one of my employees comes in and he goes, "This sounds like um you are making me work in a factory and if I don't do enough production, uh you're going to kill me in this dystopian future." That was his 
actual description and i'm like <laughs> well it's true so fucking pick up that means of production motherfucker um it it's it's really good but it by the end of listening to it he was like what is that i'm gonna pu- i'm gonna play it again later i'm like sick a new gridiron fan who doesn't knows nothing about the genre at all so there you go I, I, I'll tell him to tune into the merch drop of 7,000 shirts, American football, like eight pairs of shorts, maybe some aqua socks. I don't know what else they dropped in that merch <laughs> drop, but it was a lot. It was a lot. That's true. Okay, Chris, let's go to you for your uh, take on this. Um, Dan said borderline rapping. I don't know what border he's talking about because this feels pretty firmly uh, in the yard of rap core, but not, not in a bad way. I think, I think it sounds sick. Um, this is real good. I think it's, it's, I mean, a lot of people will say beat down, but like it's, it's pretty, you know, it, it certainly explores like the downset lane, you know, um, which is, is very, very wrapped as well. Um, and even like a tiny bit of new metal, um, but certainly some New Jersey hardcore, some Pennsylvania hardcore, like, you know, that, that mid nineties, uh, back to basics sound is, is certainly, uh, explored. Uh, the song, <laughs> the song, uh, I think E-Town is like probably the easiest comp just because it's, you know, there's rapping and there's breakdowns, but like, I think like if you listen to the song brothers in arms, which is the 12th man song, like the opening intro there could easily be an orange nine millimeter riff. Um, so that's kind of a little bit different from, you know, the best back to basics. Uh, um, I don't know. Study. <laughs> um, and then with the rap, the wrapped vocals, like I think a lot of times when there's a, there's a vocalist who's more rapping over hardcore, it s- tends to sound a little bit dull but I think it really works for this dude because it, his vocals and maybe it's the recording, but they sound really crisp. Like, and so when he's, he's rapping, which is like talking obviously over, over this heavy music, it doesn't sound dull. Like it sounds biting, even though he's not like, you know, screaming. Um, this is a really good re- recording. I, th- I think the reason why they're able to do that, Chris, is because he doesn't vary his voice. Right. So like because he doesn't go from like talking to yelling, you can actually just like mix him really proper and you can mm-hmm. kind of put him over the top of everything. Right. Because you don't have to be like, oh, he's not like varying his like yeah. noise level. Now you know? he's screaming. We got to turn it down. Right. Exactly. Like you don't have to find that like sweet spot. And sometimes when you do that, like it's hard to find the mix. Like it's going to sound buried in some spots. But because this dude is like pretty monotone, they're able to like mix it and. Dan's right. It's it's very refreshing to have like the vocals be really easy to hear and like high in the mix, you know, and there's great little vocal hooks on here. There's great little guitar hooks and man. Yeah. This, this LP is, is cool. Ben, one, bring sorry, us down. One, oh, yep. one thing <laughs> I may be taking that. I, I can kind of feel like I know what Ben's going to say about this record and I may be taking away the, the, the one thing that Ben would like about it maybe, but um, the song Trench when the bell tolls right before the mosh part is so sick. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. But like Dan singling out that line, like you're on the bench, we're in the trench. Like that's fucking good. You know what I mean? It's like, I like to walk up to that line. Like 
is that line ill? Is that line like almost like dipping in the cheese? Maybe, but it's fucking ill. Like, I love that shit, dude. It's like, if you got a hook, hit it, dude. Take that swing, you know? And I think they knock it out of the park here, you know? All right, Ben, bring us down. <laughs> One of Zach's joys is forcing me to listen to music like this and hearing me squirm on the pod. And this definitely takes the cake so far. I'm hearing Biohazard plus extended beatdown parts with the 311 guy singing. I can almost hear the ex- the exaggerated arm gestures. But... We all know I don't like the style of music, so I'm going to try to add value to this podcast. Let's try to figure out the following. One, who the first band to sound like this was in general terms. And two, what rapper or rap group is the patron saint of this style of music, like actual rap music? Like who would be like the the rappers that these guys would look up to the most? So one, first, first band to sound like this. What do you guys think? It's got to be a biohazard, right? Yeah, maybe yeah. it is. I was going to say, yeah, that's certainly one of them. And, and it's funny because the rap, the rap group I was going to say is Onyx. But Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> they did funny. a song with Biohazard on the Judgment Night soundtrack. But, but even yeah, that yeah. aside, Onyx is definitely the most like yelly, I'll beat you up kind of lyrics over mid, slow to mid-tempo uh, beats. So even even without that kind of biohazard tie-in, I would still say Onyx. Um, but the first the first things I heard that sounded like this were the band Something to Prove, who were on the only the Strong ninety three comp on Victory. That's Mike Ski's band, and then the band Social Justice had a seven inch called I Refuse to Lose, which came out in ninety two, and then right after that they changed their name to Downset. So. That's what remind when you mentioned downside. I'm like, oh yeah, that too. And like, yeah, but those Rage Against the Machine too. Yeah, yeah but, against- but the bio the Biohazard LP is 1990, and You're he right. straight raps on long side of the tracks. True. Yep. So you Biohazard know, that's got me the right answer. That's it. Yeah, that's where all that stuff's from. Okay, let, let me talk about my knock on this record, and it's not a knock on this record necessarily; it's a knock on my opinion on how like modern hardcore is released. Um. And I don't have the right answer. Like a lot of things are confusing. I don't know the way to put things out. And obviously like the record labels know better than me. So I'm going to bitch right now and take it with a grain of salt. Um, But as a listener, like the way that bands release singles is cool because like we want the music sooner than later. Right. So it's like, give us some music. That's great. But the problem is like, here you have a record. It's like, what is it, Dan? It's nine songs. Yeah. Yeah, nine songs, and they put out singles of, like, the first song and the third song. And one of the later songs on the record is, like, off something else as well, I think. So it's like, I put on this record, I'm excited for it, but it's like, I already know the first song. And so it's like, the second song's new, and it's like, oh, that's sick, but then I know the third song, too. And so, like, it's it kind of cuts up the record in a way where... I'm not getting a whole fresh piece of music. And so it's like kind of hard to get super excited about, you know, like, and, and again, that's just like nonsense, nonsensical bitching. And maybe like me wanting nostalgia of like, you know, I bought the hatebreed CD, like the satisfaction is the death of desire. Like the day it came out, like there wasn't a single that I had that came up before that. So like, I remember the excitement of like 
I can't believe this is how I'm going to listen to it. And he, every song is like hearing it for the first time. You know what I mean? And a lot of like my favorite records, it's like you go buy something, you put it on. Everything is like hearing it for the first time. And you remember it that way. And it, it's just weird to, to take in music in this modern era when stuff is like served up to you in kind of a chopped up manner like that. Right. Like I'm going to have to listen to this album 40 times before like I know the rest of the songs, like as well as I know, like the first and third and that like later track, you know? So that's all. Like, I, I think that's interesting the way that like music's released now. And I don't know if it's necessarily my favorite. So Dan, do you have anything on that? Well, I would say the seventies through the nineties, I, I feel like that happened, but with vinyl single releases. So you would get, maybe two singles before the LP dropped. So you would know those two songs also. And then I think that has been taken up in, and not just with hardcore with, with so many things in a digital manner to try and hype the release of the LP or what would be considered interaction, you know, like it's almost content, you know, they're putting up something and you're interacting with it a bunch and then you do it again you so you get a second hit of interaction with them and then when the lp comes out you you back in for that and then hopefully buying the physical and everything as well so it it's just i i do see what you mean like sometimes with like hardcore records or even you know certain major label things back in the day like you wouldn't know anything before it dropped and then you get to sit and just spend the day with it you know but also we've got to just kind of we've got to just think about how attention spans are now like people who've grown up with a phone in their hand and spotify or apple music i don't think they listen from track one to to the end of the lp a lot you know, a lot of people don't, they'll make playlists or they'll like bounce around like crazy. Um, they'll let the algorithm do things for them. So there's, I don't think everyone is built the same way to listen to an LP from track one to the end anymore. Okay. Uh, so Dan, let me jump in on the, you and like, and carry out like where my thoughts going with this. Okay. Yeah. So, but then why is like, what's the point of the LP anymore? Right, like, aren't we better off than just finding like the middle ground of, of bands putting out songs in like three or four chunk, like put out three songs every six months, you know, or put out four songs every six months or every year, you know, like what's like what's the point of the LP at this point then? Yeah, I mean that that's a it's a really good question, but I also think people that do bands like to think of crafting something like that even if it isn't digested that way by a lot of people or even through their own faults of putting it out piecemeal um it it's a really it's a interesting topic that you know we've touched on before but it continues to rear its head in the in this day and age where we are experiencing media or lps and records and stuff in a very new manner where things are changing it's it's you know full on the social animal of of hardcore moving and evolving and maybe devolving maybe you know whatever way you want to look at it but it is a 
moving, changing animal, uh, whether that's aping the outside music industry or the outside way things are, you know, digested, but it, it's, it, you bring up some really interesting points and it, it totally makes me really think about it. I tend to go when I listen to, you know, the great thing is the podcast also makes us become hyper-focused on certain records when we want to talk about them. But in general, I tend to listen to, um, especially when I'm listening to music digitally, I listen to the beginning of the album to the very end a lot. But I know lots of people, especially from working with some younger people, that don't do that at all. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think we should dive into this as a bigger topic at some point. We can all think on it and come up with some ideas, but let me, let me toss one back to you again, Dan, like think about a band like tsunami, right? Like they're doing exactly what I'm talking about. They haven't been hindered at all. They're a band that came out of nowhere. And now they're like, you know, every show top, like close to top of the bill or top of the bill, their downloads are crazy. You know, they're like, what, what benefit does tsunami have from putting out an LP? opposed to like just doing what they're doing and putting out four songs every year, you know? Yeah. I mean, and it is very much working because they capture your attention by releasing two songs here, four songs here, one song here, you know, because you're like almost fiending for it and you can't get enough by the end of it. It's like that mind force EP, uh, chopping swords, right? How, yeah, swinging how, swords, how, chopping lords, so yes, good, exactly. perfect. Those four songs is like that was the perfect follow up to Excalibur, right? Like they wrote like one of the greatest LPs in the last twenty years, and then like they followed it up kind of soon, but they just hit it with four songs. It's like so perfect, and all four of those songs are fucking awesome. And we wanted more by the end of listening to those four songs. Yeah, but I like again. It's like. I would, their next output is like, obviously I want them to do whatever they want to do, but it's like, if I have the choice of four bangers, like Swing and Source, Chopping Lords, or like maybe their next LP isn't as good as Excalibur, and it's like, goddamn, there's four hits on there and like some filler, I'm taking those four songs every day. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, Chris, do you have a take on this at all? Uh, No, not really. <laughs> I mean... I can see both sides. Like I personally like to, I like it when people have singles ahead of the LP because then it, it gives you uh, something to grab onto as you're listening to it, you know, um, something familiar to kind of like break up all the new. Um, so I kind of like that. It's just hard because like this record, like, you know, the first song on the record is the one I was the most familiar with. So it's like when I get the new record, it's like, I almost want to skip the first song and that's fucking weird, yeah. you know? And then you have like the scenarios, like the one step closer LP, like the single they put out in my opinion was like above and beyond the best song on the record, you know? So it's like kind of the rest of the record is like chasing it, you know? And the, yeah, the other side too, where like the Akulu, they put out like a single that like is maybe not representative of the record. And so like, that was a nice surprise because it was like, Ooh, they kind of put together, they put out like a bridge track. And it's like the rest of the LP is like spectacular. And that song fits so well in the context of the LP, but maybe it's not a single, you know, like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't like having the first song be one of the singles or something you're familiar with. Cause that I agree with you there. It feels like too much like, okay, 
I just put on something that I already, I already know. Like I like having it a little bit later just so that you're like, okay, I can get like two or three new songs in and then, Oh, here's, here's one that I'm familiar with, you know? Yeah, that's fair. It up. Ben, do you have a quick take on this? I'm trying to figure it out myself right now because my band surprise vacation wrote 10 or 11 new songs and we're going to record soon. And we just are already debating internally on how these songs should be presented to the world. We just haven't reached a, a verdict. So it's good to hear, you know, you guys hash it out uh, about, you know, is it even worth making albums anymore? I mean, we're recording essentially an album's worth of material, but should it be presented as an album? I just, I just don't know. Um, but I, yeah, yeah, so I, weird. yeah. And definitely I've been in that situation where an album comes out on Spotify and I'm like, well, they already teased like four of these songs, but that's like Dan said, and I'm glad he said it, like going back to the fifties, the sixties, the seventies, you'd have eighties, nineties, you have singles in advance of the album. That's just how albums get sold. I mean, that's just the part of the machinery of getting people to care about enough to buy an album is to, is to tease out advanced songs in advance of, of them. And even fat records in the late nineties, early two thousands used to do this thing where they put out like a four song CD EP two months in advance of the album. And it would have maybe two songs from that would be on the album and two that wouldn't. So you'd have to buy both to have every song, but it really was a way to tease to, to, to sell the album a couple months later, that was the purpose of it. Right. But that harkens back directly to like those old school singles where it's like, yeah, okay, the, the single track. Yeah. is going to make the LP, but like you got some B sides. Yeah. So anyway, all right, right on. That'll be a conversation for another day. And everyone give us your input. Like, what do you think? Like, how do you want to consume music? You know, it's, it's a really interesting thing to think about in like this modern era. And it's like one of those things where I just think sometimes like, you know, am I out of touch? Am I, am I grasping for something that is like not relevant anymore? But then it's also weird because people are still putting out LPs, right? Like, so just to finish on this topic real quick, like I love like early nineties hip hop and all of my favorite artists like do LPs. Right. And for me, like in the modern era, it's like very hard to follow hip hop because like, it's not about that anymore. You know what I mean? So again, it's, it's just another style that does like, another thing. And it's like, where does hardcore fit in? Where should it fit in? You know, at the end of the day, it's like, whatever makes the artist happy is probably the best, but like, I don't know. And it's pretty wonky. Like thinking about bands recording shit and it not coming out until like a year later, that shit worries me just cause like, I want hardcore music to be out. And we know that the lifespan of some bands can be really short. So we'll leave it at that. And, uh, I'm taking it back to the old school cause I'm an old fool I'm taking it back to the old school cause I'm an old fool Alright, we're going old school We are talking the Canadian Subhumans Their 7-inch firing squad Came out in 1980 on Good God Dan, can you pronounce that records? Oh, Quintessensis? Uh... Quintessence? I don't know. Ben? I should pull it up on. Uh, I know. Name. Anybody Quintess- help me out? Quintessence. I don't know. I just, I'm guessing quintessence. Yeah. And we're going to go with Ben. Okay. But uh, this is their third seven inch. And it is my favorite of their EPs. Um, because I just think that the song, no productivity 
is like one of the greatest punk songs ever. This is such a wild song. I heard it on originally on one of the killed by death comps. And I was just like, what the fuck is this riff dude? And so everyone go to 185 miles south.com, click that playlist link and uh, check out this song. It's just like, Ben, how would you describe this riff? Um, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. It's, it's like, like, it's like a, it's a great song and it's so happy sounding. And then you look at the lyrics and it's like, you know, it's like the most brutal thing you can imagine. It's like, uh, it's a dictatorship, you know, murdering people by firing squad. No, um, you're talking about side A. I'm talking about the riff on side B, dude. Oh, I'm no talking about no productivity. That do 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 Like that riff is out of this world. Yeah, I'm not as into the B side. Oh, you're a poser. <laughs> hey, Dan, what's your take on this? Well, first and foremost, usually I want my subhumans to be talking about skinning Margaret Thatcher alive. But the A-side to this is one of the most perfect, poppy, glorious songs ever. Um, Firing Squad, yeah, and it is. he had a dream about (laughs) Firing Squad and about the oppressive government, etc. But it sounds like Wipers meets Psychedelic Furs almost. It's so catchy. It's so amazing. It's really beautiful. I absolutely love it. And then you get the wipers meets wire almost on the B side. Um, It's way more angular, way more um, challenging is a way to put it. But I'm with Ben. I land on the A side. I'm in Poserville. I absolutely love it. Um, Quintessence, by the way, it means the most perfect or typical example of a quality or class. So that's a class that side. Well, B is how under. about that? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Dude, this side, like no productivity is just fucking wild. Like, yeah, I agree. The so, side a is a great song. It's a cool, like really poppy, melodic, cool hook song. But like, I can't think of anything that sounds like this side B song. Like this is just like a wild one, dude. So Ben, sorry to cut you off. I was just playing. So forgive okay. me, but go in on this. Yeah. Dan here's for the A side, uh, Viring squad. Dan here's wipers meet psychedelic furs. I hear like breezy, surfy, melodic, orange County punk from the same era, you know, circa 79, 80. Like there like truly was a West coast sound at the time that extended thousands of miles from Southern California to British Columbia, you know, you have, I'm not going to name every band down the coast, but it's like, it's pretty unbroken. Like no pun intended. Like, and I didn't even think about the wipers, but there you go. There you have another, you have another uh, chain in the link that, or the, the, another link in the chain that connects all these SoCal, I'm sorry, all these West coast bands to each other. Um, I actually wrote a thing about uh, the subhumans, Canadian subhumans for the big article I did. Um, I'm just going to read a a couple sentences from it because this is helpful. Um, So some Canadian subhumans came out of British Columbia. They came out of this town called Burnaby, which is actually 30 minutes away from downtown Vancouver. So you kind of, it's very similar to LA where you have all these bands actually coming out of the suburbs 
and not like the city center. And so this band called the skulls, which um, they came out in like 1977 and they were dudes who were like hard rock fanatics who saw the Ramones play. And then they're like, fuck it. We're punk rockers. Now they completely were converted overnight and they split up the following year. And the people in that band, the skulls, Joey Shithead, who forms DOA right after that, and then Brian Wimpy, um, who forms the Subhumans. So you have this kind of like s- this band that starts that whole scene, and they break off into Subhumans and DOA. And then I, I wrote Subhumans played raw sounding hyperpolitical songs like "Oh Canada" and the Pro Red Brigade's "Death of the Sickoids." Bassist. Uh, Jerry Useless Hannah was ultimately convicted of conspiring to rob an armored truck in the early 80s to help fund Canadian revolutionary group Direct Action. Still, the subhumans also found time to play numbers such as Slave to My Dick, the kind of tune that would never be sung by a a puritanical punk band like Crass. So you have hyper-political, but you also have, you know, fun, I guess what pops would call fart rock. Like, kind of in one unit and man firing squad might be the best might be the, might be the high point of this whole band yeah other than no productivity and uh, <laughs> and that song and that song behind my smile behind your smile that song's fucking ill i think it's on one of the lps um chris what's your take on this well my take uh i know we're not doing a side a versus side b on this but uh Poserville population three. Cause uh, I think fire firing squad bodies, no productivity. Um, <clears throat> I think first off, this is a band that is a pretty, was for many years, a pretty big blind spot for me. Cause I just always assumed that this was the UK band and um, you know, just a, a record that I never visited because I didn't really explore that subhumans entire catalog and just assumed this was, you know, something in there that I wouldn't check out. Um, but it's really good. Um, Firing Squad is my favorite of, of any of their songs. Uh, I like how Dan described no, no productivity as angular challenging. It's a little bit, it's a little bit different, a little bit weird. Firing Squad is just a catchy, like it's the antithesis of like challenging. It's like, so like it grabs you instantly. Um, like this is a song that I think you could put up, you know, you could put this on a playlist with like Coxbar hit and a blitz hit and stiff little fingers or wipers or whoever, like, you know, the top tier, the a tier punk bands of all time. And this song would not be, um, you know, a dip in quality from any, any of those. And like how many bands in the world, like the history of the world can say, that they've written a song that good. Um, so that's pretty impressive. Fun so, fact, dude. So I'm looking at the second seven inch, which is their self-titled one that came out on the same label in 79 produced by Bob rock of uh, yep. Metallica black album fame. Yeah. He, Bob rock did a lot of uh, early Vancouver area punk um, and a lot of early Vancouver, Vancouver area punk is really, really good. And when I went through the, quintessence catalog on discogs today most of it is on that label and it's it kind of mostly leans a lot of it leans very melodic which makes sense for you know firing squad it fits right in like 
a couple other bands I really like from that scene are the Modernettes, um, the Young Canadians, who started out as the K-Tells. They changed their name to the Young Canadians. And the Pointed Sticks. Those would be like the three I'd point people to other than like DOA and Subhumans. Hell yeah, dude. Put some respect on the Pointed Sticks. Uh, Dan, final thoughts on this and the episode in general. Okay. Well, I just want to know, do you think Bob Rock had a a therapist in studio while recording that second set? I'm really glad we talked about this seven inch because, um, you know, you've pushed me to listen to them, you know, from time to time. And I have, but firing squad, man, that got under my skin, like in the best possible way. Um, and so now I, I want to really dive in a lot more with, with them. You know, um, I'm like Chris, usually my subhumans are on the other side of the Atlantic. Before you uh, give your next thought, let me just say, uh, all of their early stuff got repressed on alternative tentacles in the year 2008. It's on a, an LP compilation called death was too kind. So if you people listening out there, dig these two songs on the playlist, that's a good LP to, uh, to grab you can find like bootlegs of their early shit um or you can pay out the ass for the early singles but they're all there on that death was too kind record so uh check that out and back to you dan sick and they also do a, a death threat cover dead at birth apparently yeah. so you know sick um i i really had a lot of fun talking music on this uh pod tonight because we we ran the gamut of you know something old something new something borrowed something blue like it we really you know kind of went all over the place and it just shows that hardcore fucking rules and i love talking it with you lot and i love when the people who listen to the podcast get in touch and you know make a comment on instagram or throw a dm to you or me or anyone and just just uh reaching out and like continuing the conversation or like suggesting something else to listen to or asking about something we talked about. I I absolutely love it all. So, you know, that that's why the pod lives in my heart. You know, I really love it. Chris, final thoughts. I, (laughs) I just want to echo everything Dan said. He said it beautifully and I don't really have much to add to it. I think, you know, I love talking about hardcore with you guys and um i love the comments and uh you know people want to engage that's sick too because we're not we're not hardcore experts like we're not like (laughs) you know we're not here to tell you what's good we're just here to talk about stuff that we love and if you like listen to it and check it out and love it too then that's sick like i don't know that's what i'm about dude 100 percent, not experts right although i will I don't ever want to be a tastemaker either. The one energy that I would like to put out in the world from this podcast though, is that we ride for punk and hardcore. And when something gets presented to me, I want it to succeed. And so like, I don't ever want to be a person that when stuff gets presented to me, I'm looking for a, a way to blow it off. Right. Like that's what I hate. That's fucking lazy. You know, like I don't want to be dismissive of, bands or records or genres or any of that. Like I want to ride for hardcore. It's like a big, beautiful beast. I love all of it. Like I love proto punk all the way through 
like this gridiron LP, you know, I ride for all of it. It's the greatest music in the fucking world. So uh, that's that. Ben, let's go to you. Final thoughts. Yeah. It just occurred to me something we, I really think we should do is a head to head Canadian subhuman seven inch, not this one so that we can talk about, you know, a different one just to cover all bases versus a UK subhuman seven inch. And I think people will dig that because, or maybe even the first subhumans, Canadian subhumans LP versus the first UK subhumans LP. I don't know, whatever, we'll figure it out. But I think that would be kind of a cool thing because, you know, people love to say, you know, these two bands with the same name, which one is better? Of course, people naturally are going to do that. So I think that would be fun to do a head to head. And yes, of course, we all love talking about hardcore. Well, Ben, Uh, yeah. We'll, oh, we'll do subhumans versus subhumans, and we'll do death threat versus death threat. What's up, Ben? Uh, Dan, go ahead, wrap it up, and let the people know where they can find you. Okay, I was just going to say that episode will be called "The Day Canada Died," not <laughs> the country. <laughs> um, you can find me on Instagram at Southport Instagrammer. Chris, where can the people find you? Chris Williams fifty one on Twitter and Instagram. Ben, where can the people find you? Instagram at cold chillin' book. Everyone you can get at me. Gmail's the best way. 185 miles south at gmail.com. I respond to everyone. The DMs get a little rougher, but I'm on uh, Instagram, 185 miles south. I think I'm the same on Twitter, but Twitter is, I just use it as a news aggregator. I'm not on there very much. And then also Zach Retaliate Instagram. And you know, Retaliate is the best. On Instagram. We'll see everyone May 1st in Oxnard. What's up? And everyone will talk to you again next Monday. <laughs>